This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching, so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Previously on Smoked. To see the beaches, the surfers, the smoking of the weed. Yeah, it was a totally different climate of attitude. And uh, he worked hard. And it wasn't until some years after he realized, you know, maybe there's another way to make a buck. When I was five, my parents threw a safari-themed birthday party. And it included Jessica the elephant, who came from Miami Zoo. <sighs> I mean, I heard a few things, but I didn't really want to delve into it. I missed Atlanta Grand Prix. I was in Northern California bringing a load in. How big was the load? Was it, it was 135,000 pounds. How much was that worth? 44 million bucks. From the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the 1986 running of the Indianapolis 500. For Randy Lanier, 1986 looked like it was going to be one long, adrenaline-fueled rush to the finish line. He was going to smuggle in his biggest load of pot ever. And in his racing career? Well, here we are again. I'm Jim McKay reporting live back home again in Indiana. He set his sights on what many say is the pinnacle of the sport, the Indy 500. This is the fastest field in the history of Indianapolis and a fascinating one. Indy for many years was considered the greatest race in the world. Back when those guys were racing in the 80s, it was the race. Racing writer Mike Harris has covered the Indy 500 47 times. No other race in the world drew half a million people to the racetrack. And I think part of it was because it was so dangerous. You're driving above 200 miles an hour with concrete walls right next to you. You mess up, you're in those walls. In a few years, Randy had gone from racing an old Porsche he had rewired himself to competing for a spot in racing history. He knew it was dangerous, both the race and the attention it would draw. 
There was some talk about where their money came from, and there was definitely some talk about drugs. There wasn't anything that was written or anything like that, but there were people who said they'd seen lots of cash being handed out in certain places. Now the cars turn back onto the front straight. See them moving out of turn four. But on the track, all that faded away. It was just driver and car. The state of mind that the racing would put me in was absolutely extraordinary. You challenge yourself, and you feel that you're doing the best you can do, but yet there's still more in you. There's no such thing as a perfect lap. You're always trying to better it. The adrenaline begins to rush. Quickly now again, row five, Randy Lanier, Pancho Carter, and Jacques Villeneuve. The pulse-pounding speed, the incredible focus required to race your best, the fight to finish first. Randy loved it all. To be good at something, to put your very best at it, over and over again and concentration and attention. When you get in the zone, you're just there. There's nothing else but being there in the moment. And here they come. Most sports events begin. The Indianapolis 500 explodes. Randy was looking toward the biggest accomplishments of his careers, both of them. A collective 25,000 horsepower going into turn one. But the finish line was coming quicker than he thought. From the Miami Herald and McClatchy Studios, this is Smoked. I'm Amy Driscoll. I'm Alex Harris, and this is Part 3. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? 
that's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. As Randy continued his relentless rise as a driver in the mid-80s, something else was happening. The drug culture that funneled millions of dollars into his wallet was changing. Shows like Miami Vice glamorized the fight against smuggling and the cops on the front lines. Of course, real life was a bit different from that. Nobody dressed like that. The cops didn't dress like that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Most of the Miami Vice guys I knew were this high and about that wide, you know. But uh, was there a lot of crazy shit like that going on where boats would pull up with dope in it? Absolutely. Tom Raffanello is a former DEA agent. He came to South Florida after assignments in some of the most crime-ridden spots in the U.S., including Las Vegas, New York, and along the Mexican border. My house was burned down by Mexican traffickers, yeah. Nowadays, they would have transferred me to several time zones away. But my boss, who I talk to to this day, said, it's your call. You want to stay, you want to go. I said, I like it here. So I stayed. The South Florida scene was something new, even for him. Law enforcement was struggling while drug cartels were surging. There was a skeleton crew down here, and they did what they could. But unlimited manpower, unlimited budget, and no rules will win 100 times out of 100. And if you remember, people were getting shot in shopping centers, walking out of stores. Miami was not a safe place in those days. Cocaine traffickers followed some of the same Colombian pipelines used by Randy and others for pot but the new business model included a lot of bloodshed. Coke was now the focus for law enforcement. Pot had to take back seat. We just didn't look at pot as a big deal. Let me rephrase that. We didn't have the resources to really do anything with that. Smugglers like Randy mostly tried to stay out of the way of the cocaine cartels. Different type of clientele, different type. And you never were interested in selling cocaine? Not really, different type of people. Even the hours are different. They're more nightlife people. So a whole different atmosphere. In retrospect, the earlier years of pot smuggling started to seem almost quaint. More than $150 million worth of marijuana has been seized so far in South Florida. Big federal busts in pot havens like Key West and Everglade City seem like cat and mouse games between the traffickers and the law. The Monroe County Sheriff's Office is on an almost continuous alert following a number of major marijuana busts in the Florida Keys. It was such a small town, we would all go up to the La Concha on Friday nights, which was the top of the tallest building in Key West. Allison DeFore is a former sheriff and former judge in Monroe County, home to Key West. Smugglers would be at one end of the bar and we'd be at the other end of the bar. And If they'd had a really good day, they'd be sending drinks down to us. And if we had a really good day, we'd be sending drinks down to them. And Busts totaling almost 60 tons, worth $35 million, have been recorded so far by local authorities. We hit a house one time when we got there. He was sitting in the hot tub with a blonde on either side of him and a dead bottle of Dom Perignon and a live bottle of Dom Perignon and the German shepherd in the hot tub with them. And all of everybody just wasted, I think, the shepherd too. And he's just there with a smirk on his face. And I said, so I'm reckoning you knew we were going to drop by. And he said... Maybe. It's a small town. In Everglades City, smuggling became so common that practically the whole town was involved. Federal agents once showed up to arrest a couple there, 
and got a big surprise. Customs, the DEA, FBI, and everybody standing up front like a bunch of ninjas knocked the door down. That's Tim McBride, a former pot hauler from Everglade City, who got swept up in the mass arrests there. They didn't get three feet inside the door in the face-to-face with two mountain lions. <laughs> they turned right around and ran out of the house and shut the door. And they had to get on the phone. They're calling wildlife people and everybody to get these lions under control. There was nobody going in there. For protection the whole time? Yeah, hell yeah. There was nobody going in that house or anything like that. Later on, as cocaine demanded the government's attention, weed became a low priority to investigators like Raffanello, even when there was an entire plane load of it. I had a really good informant who was a pilot, and he had a DC-3, and we had a deal through an undercover and a a mid-level cartel figure to bring three tons of coke in. We bring it into a clandestine strip, and I look, and the whole plane is loaded with bills. You could smell the pot from a mile away. I got on his ass. I says, why did you take these sh-? What am I going to do with it? Bring it back. They had so much pot, they didn't know what to do with it. It was open and notorious. It was almost funny because we would talk about it. You know, agents would say, the guy walked into the bank with a, a, a trunk full of cash and dumped it out, and they didn't have enough people or machinery to count the money. Dick Gregory is a former U.S. attorney known for taking down infamous traffickers like Pablo Escobar and Manuel Noriega. This was Casablanca, as I've said many times. This town was full of spies, arms dealers, narcotics traffickers, petty thieves, and it was the fraud capital of the world. For a person doing federal prosecutions, this was like a stockbroker being on Wall Street. All the focus on cocaine in South Florida worked to Randy's advantage, at least for a while. Raffanello said pot smugglers just didn't compare to the cartels. You have to make a decision as to what you prioritized. So we prioritized the violent end of the business and kind of let these guys do their thing, figuring as long as they weren't creating any problems with violence or killing people or doing kidnappings or that kind of we would let them fester. It's that simple. There weren't any criminal masterminds. It just as there wasn't anybody on them. Estamos en vivo en el Gran Premio de Miami 1985. By 1985, Randy was moving on from races like the Miami Grand Prix, and it was getting harder for him to go unnoticed. In both aspects of his life. How many loads were you doing a year after that? Just one. In the 80, early 80s, they got so large that I didn't need to do more than one. 130,000 pounds, 140,000 pounds, 150,000 pounds. It just got bigger and bigger. Each load got bigger and bigger? Yes. That's a pretty big load already. Yeah. Well, you find ways to pack more in. So you make as much money as you can. So. Well... It seemed to be at the time. <laughs> Those long-running rumors about drug money and racing had been growing, fueled by actual arrests. In January 1985, two of Randy's competitors, John Paul Sr. and his son, John Paul Jr., had been indicted on smuggling charges. The racing series itself, the International Motorsports Association, even acquired a nickname. IMSA, IMSA, International Marijuana Smugglers Association. I mean, we all laughed about it. And, of course, there was a a hint of truth in there. That's Jim Busby, the former driver who competed against Randy. But 
You went to the races to race, and everybody forgot about the source of the income. Mine was corporate. Theirs was perhaps legitimate, maybe not. But we all arrived on the starting line at the same point. Nobody cared where it came from. We came to race in the best road racing that America had seen in decades, perhaps forever. I don't know. I'll tell you this. Randy Lanier was a hell of a good racing car driver, and he never won a race because he was a smuggler. He won a race because he was a good, good driver. With all the talk behind the scenes, Randy needed a lot of nerve to focus on Indy. He had plenty of that. But he also needed experience competing in the open-wheeled, bullet-shaped Indy cars. They raced in the kart series, championship auto racing teams. So he began driving for Frank Arciero, a California winery owner, construction magnate, and race team owner in the kart series. Arciero, who died in 2012, played a part in launching the careers of such Hall of Fame drivers as Al Unser Jr. and Michael Andretti. With the Queen Mary as a backdrop, the 1985 IndyCar season begins. But crew chief Keith Layton suspects Arciero got something else from Randy, beyond just a talented young driver. In the world of IndyCar racing, Frank never really had the best equipment. He just turned up because he wanted to be at Indy. So by having the influx of Randy's money, they bought new cars, they bought new engines, and went from being down here up here. So it picked Frank Arciero racing up to a, a much higher level. The finest drivers in the world in the world's fastest cars are ready to contest the Kart Grand Prix of Long Beach. Of course, there was a learning curve. Randy's first try in the kart series was in Long Beach on a street course, like the kind he was familiar with from IMSA. Coming into the hairpin turn onto the straightaway. He finished 24th. The next month, he was in Indianapolis, facing an oval track for the first time. He failed to qualify there as a rookie in 1985. We all go through our journey and have setbacks. But I, I've never looked at anything as a failure. I look at it as a learning process and opportunities. For the rest of that season, he raced in the kart series. We are back at Portland. On Father's Day in Portland. Finally in row number 14, Randy Lanier in 57. At the New Jersey Meadowlands. The 57 car has got itself a problem as uh, Randy Lanier out of Florida. Yeah, apparently uh, something like going to back the car. Then races in Cleveland, Wisconsin, and beyond. Randy started nine events for Arciero that season. He was rich, and he was becoming famous. But the questions surrounding him weren't going away. Layton said he'd started seeing men in dark suits at the track during Randy's first attempt to qualify at Indy. Indy, there was two guys always there. You walk out the garage, there'd be one of them, or there'd be another one, always within eyesight of you. Didn't say anything. They weren't so they were, um, hey, how are you, stuff like that. But they've got the jackets, because like, it's hot. I mean, Indy, some days, it's miserable. So they've got a, the whole jacket. Obviously, you see a, a gun in here, you know, so you knew they weren't um, nice guys. <laughs> and that, that was the FBI, keeping watch on what they were doing. That's when he decided to tell Randy he was moving on. And I said, this ain't working, mate. <laughs> and he says it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he would understand. Oh, definitely. You know, he understood. And so he wasn't going to get into any arguments and stuff like that. So, you know, the money was good, but there's more to life than just money. Thank you very much. As you know, one of the most critical duties that we faced upon taking office was controlling the influx of illegal drugs into this country. 
former law enforcement officials can swap stories about the wildest parts of their battles with smugglers now. But at the time, the drug war was a serious matter of national importance, especially to President Ronald Reagan. He created the South Florida Task Force, overseen by Vice President George H.W. Bush, specifically to combat smuggling. They'll utilize the resources of the federal government, including the FBI, the DEA, the IRS, the ATF, Immigration and Naturalization Service, United States Marshals Services, the U.S. Customs Service, and the Coast Guard. Before long, forces like the Coast Guard, heard here in a bust off the Florida coast, were on high alert. I will fire at your vessel only as long as it takes to bring your vessel to stop. It hits. Got smoke, got smoke. The local news was all over it. The drug trade and Radio Marti were the topics of the vice president's first two meetings in South Florida. Here at the this task force is not going to go away. To those in the drug business who think they can wait it out, I say that you're going to have to have a long, long wait. It's a young he actually came down and talked with us. And I mean, how many times in your life as a vice president of the United States got to come down and talk to you, you know? Before Miami, Gregory had helped break organized crime rings in the Northeast. But that multi-agency task force in South Florida was like nothing he'd seen before. I mean, we were getting agents, we were getting equipment, we were getting support. They weren't slowing down prosecutions or investigations. They were very happy. This was the candy store. I mean, you want to see dope, Mr. Vice President? You want to see guns? We got plenty of them for you. <laughs> the question is, what are we doing about it? <laughs> this, is, this is the issue. That's where agents like Raffanello came in. You flip people, you roll up so you know who's the head of the organization, distribution arm. Every arm has somebody that does money. And DEA's expertise was to identify organizations and then try and take them out. You do certain things to be noticed. We, we sent a message out there that we've had enough of this. And if you want to do it, there's a price to be paid. And we can be every bit as nasty and determined as you can. And to a certain point, we tamped it down. There weren't mass shootings in parking lots or stores or people. I had informants that wound up in 55-gallon drums. I think for what we had to work with, we brought the violence level down quite a bit. A little more than a year after being established, the South Florida Task Force had seized nearly 3 million pounds of marijuana and 17,000 pounds of cocaine. Those drugs had a combined street value in the billions of dollars. Here at Homestead Air Force Base, we see visible evidence of the federal commitment to the war on criminal drug smuggling in South Florida. On a trip to Miami, President Reagan toured an airplane hangar full of seized drugs and weaponry and proudly declared his war on drugs an ongoing success. Since its inception, drug-related arrests in the area covered by the task force are up 27 percent. Drug seizures are up about 50 percent. And the street value of all these drugs is estimated at more than an incredible $3 billion. And as the feds continued to pour resources into the fight, the heat on smugglers intensified. We mean to end their profits, imprison their members, and cripple their organizations. And if anyone doubts what federal, state, and local authorities working with the support of the people can achieve, let them come to South Florida and to see here what we've seen today. Randy knew the danger to his organization was growing. He was hauling hundreds of thousands of pounds of pot into American ports on a slow-moving barge. Hundreds of people were involved. Were you ever on the barge? When I was loading it, I was. But you didn't take the trip? Oh, no. no. But you were on the other end when it came in? Absolutely. 
Did you read the news about this kind of stuff? Did it worry you? Yeah, I kept track of the news of people getting arrested here in Florida especially. Didn't worry me so much because we had a pretty good plan. When you do operations, you get confident in yourself and in the people that you surround yourself with. And you kind of instill in them confidence about learning how to keep things quiet, which was important. One way the company kept things quiet was by disguising pot shipments as legitimate and boring goods. But on the personal front, Randy wasn't quite as good at keeping things under wraps, particularly when it came to his cars. Yeah, one of my cars was a street car with a BB-512 Ferrari. What color? That one was a raspberry color, one of only five that Ferrari made that year. So you were really low profile. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I remember Ben Kramer's dad. I'll never forget this statement. It's like etched in my video file. Here's Charles again, talking about Kramer's dad, known in part in South Florida because he was related by marriage to mobster Meyer Lansky. So we're at Ben Kramer's house. Randy and I pull up in this Ferrari BBI 12. <laughs> 12 so you know. And so Ben's dad at the door goes, you know, guys, why don't you just go get rocks and throw it at the jailhouse? <laughs> you know? You know, we were laughing at all this stuff because we felt safe. Why? We kept a very tight group. Violence was not in our MO. We were hippie children, you know, really believed in what we were doing, didn't think it was that harmful. That tight-knit group landed the shipment in New Orleans in April 1985. 150,000 pounds of pot worth about $50 million. It was another big win, or at least that's how it felt at the time. What they didn't know? That load had set off a chain reaction that would lead right to Randy. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. By the time the Indy 500 rolled around in the spring of 1986, Randy was posting far better results on the kart circuit. ESPN presents Auto Racing 86. That April in Phoenix, Randy finished 11th in the season opener. A week later, he placed 13th in Long Beach, and Indy was in his sights. The timing was good. Indy was May 31st. The company wouldn't bring in another shipment of pot until November. He should have been able to focus on racing, but Randy was getting edgy, wondering if he was being watched by the feds. I thought I saw some people that were FBI agents, but it ended up being Ford Motor Company. Towards the end of my career of racing, I was seeing suits all over the place. <laughs> And that taught me my perception can be become my experience. So He had reason to worry. There was no doubt the government had continued to take a strong interest in racing. Or racers, anyway. Brothers Bill and Don Whittington admit they're drug smugglers and tax dodgers. In April of 86, two of Randy's Blue Thunder co-drivers were arrested for drug smuggling in a case entirely separate from Randy's smuggling. The Whittingtons are best known for car racing. It turns out their professional lives of fast cars and fine living has been financed by drug deals. When asked at the time about Bill Whittington's arrest, Randy told the Fort Lauderdale Sun-Sentinel, quote, we heard rumors for years. It's unfortunate, but I don't think less of him as a person. I hope people will take me on my driving skills, not whom I associate with. Whatever distraction that might have been, it didn't slow Randy down at the biggest race of his career. That May, he posted an Indy 500 qualifying speed of 209.964 miles an hour, breaking the previous rookie qualifying record by almost two full miles per hour. To go 200 miles an hour at a track like Indy, no matter whether you have the equipment or not, it still takes a certain amount of intestinal fortitude. Racing writers like Mike Harris of the Associated Press took notice. You're not just going to go out there and go into those narrow turns if you don't have the guts to accomplish it and keep it off the wall because you can get hurt pretty bad if you mess up. He came in and he showed no fear at all. He just went out there and did his thing. In the first Indy 500 ever broadcast live by ABC, Randy began in 13th position. And so the sound of the engine dominates the scene now, but the real story is inside the car, inside the 33 men who are about to race at Indy. Well, I'd like to say any race I'm at at the moment would be my favorite race, but great memories at Indianapolis 500 and uh, honor just to race at that track, just to be able to make the feel. 
Well, at this moment, there are really two people emotionally. One wants to react to all this and to let it really wash over you that you're in the Indy 500. The other part of you is that rather tough, unemotional person that you have to be to have gotten here in the first place. So when you're racing your car and you're hitting your marks and being the best that you can be at that time, you'll get in the zone. And it's an amazing feeling because you're in that moment. Your concentration is so high that there's nothing else in that moment. Randy drove a quiet race, but a steady one. So there are only four cars on the lead lap. Mears, Hogan, Andretti, and of course the number four car belonging to Bobby Rahal. Also, we saw Randy Lanier mentioned there. He's the highest placed rookie at the moment, driving the kind of race that a rookie typically drives, which is cautious. Yes, but it will be quite a feather in Randy Lanier's cap. He finishes, and particularly if he is named Rookie of the Year. The race unfolded as a battle between drivers Rick Mears, Kevin Kogan, and Bobby Rahal. But Randy showed his racing guts. In the final laps, Mears tried to pass Randy, but Randy blocked him. And now Kogan moves up on Mears' outside right field. No question, it was Lanier's presence blocking Mears momentarily that gave Rahal his opportunity. Rahal got past them all. The checkered flag for the 1986 Indianapolis 500 champion, Bobby Rahal. Randy came in 10th, an extraordinary finish for a relative beginner in kart racing. And he was named Rookie of the Year. I was on the committee that voted for Rookie of the Year, and I definitely voted for him. I mean, he was the highest finishing rookie, and he did a really good job. Here's Mike Harris. Nobody had been paying much attention to him, frankly. I mean, he was fast, but nobody expected him to do that well in the race. He was suddenly on everybody's radar, but he didn't stay there very long. It was a huge moment for Randy, but it would be fleeting. Sure, when things are going right, and you're, just, you're in the zone, everything is going as planned, it's an awesome feeling. Because ultimately, all of his money and talent couldn't keep his life from spinning out of control. I thought about it. I'm thinking, boy, how could I be on the top of the world this high? When it comes, it's going to probably come hard. <laughs> you know, when the bottom falls out, it's going to fall out probably. A crash, a crash. Randy Lanier against the wall really smacked it. And that car is totally destroyed. I'm Amy Driscoll. I'm Alex Harris. This podcast is produced by Kara Tabor and Davin Coburn at McClatchy Studios, and the Herald's Emily Michaud and Matthias Ochner. And thanks to Christine DiMattei at WLRN Studios. For lots more on this story, including a video of pothauler Tim McBride in Everglade City, go to MiamiHerald.com slash smoked. To continue supporting this kind of work, consider a digital subscription to the Miami Herald. Visit MiamiHerald.com slash subscribe for more information. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. On part four of Smoked, the crash. He's conscious, he's moving in the car, but heavy damage to the right side. I had my foot on the throttle. <laughs> Full tilt and go. And then from there you... Drove it right into the wall. Yep. Mm. New Scotland Yard wanted to speak with me. Said we have developed this interesting case and we'd like to come down to Florida to discuss it. The other co-defendants finally said, look, they already know everything. There's nothing they don't know. I have what's called a dry case. No dope, no weed, not a lot of hearsay. I said, Mike, you know, how deep do you want to bury this man? I said, we'll need a plumber to pipe him sunlight. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, 
Oh my god, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com.